This is Dave Alvin, and right this second, you're listening to KPFT, Houston, Texas. Welcome to another edition of the Progressive Forum. The Progressive Forum covers... This is KPFT in Houston. The program is the Progressive Forum. I'm Wally James. Our guest today is Michael Zweig. He is author of the new book, Class, Race, and Gender, Challenging the Injuries and Divisions of Capitalism. We also have This Week in Hidden History and a commentary by Jim Hightower. Now for This Week in Hidden History. On February 11th, 1790, the U.S. signs the first treaty with the Iroquois. On February 15, 1898, the U.S. battleship Maine blows up in Havana Harbor, setting off the Spanish-American War. On February 17, 1899, the Anti-Imperialist League is founded. Mark Twain serves as their vice president. On February 14, 1903, the Western Federation of Miners strikes for an eight-hour day. On February 17, 1909, Apache leader Geronimo dies of pneumonia in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. On February 16, 1916, Emma Goldman is arrested in New York for lecturing about birth control. On February 12, 1947, the first draft card burning happens in the United States. And on February 14, 1958, part of an atomic bomb accidentally drops into the ocean near Savannah, Georgia. That was This Week in Hidden History. This information comes from the calendar of the Hidden History of the United States. Up next, we have a commentary by Jim Hightower. Perhaps you heard about the recent surge of invasive foreigners into Eagle Pass, Texas, the Rio Grande border town that finds itself at the hot center of the U.S.-Mexico immigration crisis. Only, this invasion, as Donald Trump's MAGA crowd likes to call it, is not by Latin Americans, but by Anglos descending on Eagle Pass from the north. Indeed, it was an invasion by Trumpista partisans claiming to be God's army. Organized as a Christian nationalist crusade, they boasted that a mighty convoy of 700,000 trucks from all across the U.S. would be streaming toward Eagle Pass to, quote, take our border back. What a show of strength! But just when you think the whole country has gone full tilt bonkers, reality shows up. God's army actually consisted of about 20 trucks, a babbling rant by Sarah Palin, and a forlorn crowd of maybe 200 people. Seriously, that was it. The Grease Pig Contest for children at a small county fair in Texas draws more than that. And, significantly, many of the Trump patriots who came from afar were stunned to find that his frantic claims of hordes of rampaging criminals flooding into the U.S. did not exist. That's kind of eye-opening, said one who had made the long trek to repel the invaders. And a 29-year-old local resident expressed the rude truth about the loudly ballyhooed caravan. What is all this for? For show, he exclaimed. Adding to the sleazy spectacle, Texas Governor Greg Abbott had convened a dozen other immigrant-bashing GOP governors to take advantage of the caravan's political glow. Imagine their chagrin that their number of high-powered governors, political staffers, and media entourages outnumbered the crowd. This is Jim Hightower saying, For an honest depiction of God's army, go to Vote Common Good, votecommongood.com.
This is KPFT in Houston. This is the Progressive Forum, and I'm Wally James, and we are in Fun Drive, folks, and we would really appreciate it if you can make some calls at 713-526-5738, 713-526-KPFT. And we've, uh, we're going to be in Fun Drive for a couple of more weeks, and can you take some of that squeal out of there? Uh, and so it's very important that all the shows do their part. And we've got a really interesting interview coming up for you real shortly. But just before we get started on that, I just wanted to ask you to make that call. 713-526-5738. And let them know you're, you're pledging to the Progressive Forum. And we would greatly appreciate it. And uh, Lillian normally joins me during the fun drive. She hasn't been able to. But Larry Kurzan is going to be join, joining me in a little bit. And uh, are we about queued up in there? Okay. All right. So we're going to go to this interview that I recorded earlier today. Be right back. This is KPFT in Houston, the Programs of Aggressive Forum. I'm Molly James. Our guest today is Michael Zweig, and he is author of Class, Race, and Gender, Challenging Injuries and Divisions of Capitalism. He is the Emeritus Professor of Economics and founding director of the Center for Study of Working Class Life at State University of New York at Stony Brook. Michael, welcome to the Progressive Forum. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you. What was it that motivated you to write this book? There are so many people who are active in social movements bubbling up in this country. It's really terrific to see. And I was reflecting back on my own early days of activism in the 1960s when we were also young and energetic and bubbling up on all kinds of dimensions of American life. But we also read. You know, we weren't just being active, we were reading and trying to understand what was going on in the world that was driving all the conditions that we were facing and then trying to assess what to do in light of our understanding and then do and then see what we could learn from what we were doing and go in that back and forth between theory and practice. And as I was noticing all this and participating myself in all this activity going on now, I thought it might be a useful thing to try to write up a resource uh, that would help young people and others uh, to get a grip and an understanding on what is driving all these uh, outrages that we're dealing with, whether it's the environment or racial justice or low wages or poverty. Those are war. All those things come from somewhere. They didn't just fall out of the sky, and they're actually related at their uh, root. And so I thought it would be maybe worth an effort to try to write something up that people could read and use as a resource for for their work, for their activism. And we do have this growing number of young people that are you know, getting involved, that are concerned about what's going on in this country and in the world. I'm sure this is going to be a great resource for people. And when you look at these young people coming up and the way they're getting involved, does that inspire you to, to think that things are on the move and something's going to happen? Well, things are certainly on the move, and we can see that in every uh, dimension of life. We can see it in the movement for black lives. We can see it in the Me Too movement and the, now the whole uprising in the country around women's uh, agency and health. Uh, we see it in the environmental movements. We see it in the labor movement, uh, all kinds of places. Uh, the established labor movement like the UAW, the new rising labor movement like at Starbucks. Those are all things that are really terrific. And I'm involved in some of them here in New York and uh, doing my own bit. But also, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, tend to think that, oh, these young people, they're just doing things they don't really read, they don't think about things. I don't believe that's true. Uh, and uh, young people that I work with do read and want to read and want to understand more deeply what's going on and what they're confronting. And uh, so I found that uh, there is an interest in this book, uh, Class, Race, and Gender, because people are challenging the injuries in uh, divisions of capitalism, and they want to know a little bit more about it. That's what I find, and I'm very encouraged by it. And you're writing about capitalism, and that is something that, for a lot of us, it's, it's something that we've been dealing with for a long time. 
Well, it's like you were talking before about giving people something to work with because people need to be educated about what is happening in this country, the way capitalism is being used. Well, I think that's right. And I think that if we think about it a little more deeply, you know, the word radical doesn't mean extreme. Radical means going to the root of the issue. So in that sense, this is a radical book. It's not an extremist book, but it's a radical book because it tries to help people understand what at the ground level, at the bottom, at the root of the society, the way it works, uh, is driving all these injustices. And so uh, there, I think, capitalism and the, the economic structure, the economic organization of production and uh, that's at the core of any society, not just our own, not just capitalism. Any society has to produce uh, for its people, otherwise uh, they die, and that's the end of that society. So the economy really is very central to everything that's going on in the society because it is so central to life. So the politics and the culture and the religious orientations and beliefs and the way people act with one another, their culture, values, all that those elements of life are in one way or another tied back to how the economy works and what the different interests are, the different uh, interests and the different uh, points of conflict that arise in production and in the class nature of society. And that's what I'm trying to understand, and that's what I'm trying to work through in this book, which is incidentally not a doorstopper. It's just 225 pages, and there's no jargon in it. It's just a straightforward uh, explanation and, uh, and discussion. So it really is meant to be read uh, by people who really don't have much of a background. They are not economists. They're not uh, social science. You know, they, they want to know, and I'm hoping that this will be helpful. The term progressive gets thrown around a lot. Uh, what is progressive politics to you? Well, it's, I think uh, maybe the first line in a book, the first paragraph, is uh, this word progressive gets used a lot. And for me, it just means anything that reduces suffering. That's progressive. Anything that increases the uh, organizational capacity or the intellectual capacity or the cultural strength of working people, that's progressive. Anything that reduces uh, those uh, powers that working people might have, anything that increases suffering, that's not progressive. That's regressive. And so when I talk about progressive politics, I'm talking about things that uh, reduce suffering and that increase the capacity and the power and the organizational strength of working people. That's the content of it. You know, it's just a word. Unless we put content to it, it, it really doesn't help. It's just a, you know, just a performance. And that's, that content is, I think, really, really is the first paragraph of the book. And you write about class, about working class, middle class, and the capitalist class. One of the things that you talk about is that the rich are not the ones that necessarily have to be gone after by the, by the working class. Your thoughts on that? Class is a, another one of these concepts that has a lot of different meanings that people uh, bring to it. Often in the, in the United States, when we talk about class, we talk about it in terms of income. There's the rich, there's the poor, but most people are in the middle. So we have basically a middle-class society with fringes of rich people and poor people. I think that that's not a very helpful way to understand it. It, that's tr it is true that there is a broad middle income. You can put the dividing lines wherever you want, but uh, and there are some people who are above that income that you might call rich and others who are poor, but that's not really very helpful, I don't think. To me, the importance of class is a question of power. So class arises in uh, the organization of production and the power relationships that exist in that production process. So the working class, in this way of thinking, are people who are involved in production. They don't have a whole lot of control over the pace or the content of the work or what they're doing or the technology that they're using. They're just showing up for work. There's a job. There's some supervision. They do the job. They go home or they go to some other job. That's a working class position. Now, if we talk about power, power is a relationship. 
So workers may not have a whole lot of power at work. Well, who does have the power? Well, that's the corporate executives. That's the people who run and actually make the decisions for what work is going to get done, how it's going to get done, who's going to do it. Those people who are making the decisions and controlling the production process that the working class exercises, that's the capitalist class. And then there is a middle class, and that middle class caught sort of in the power structure, kind of caught in the crossfire, are small business owners, professional uh, people, and uh, managers and supervisors. So the the way that I understand class and the way I use it in this book and the way I just, you know, explore it is this question of power. Now, we don't have measure of power the way we do of income. So to uh, my uh, way of thinking, the best and closest approximation to power at work is what's your occupation. If you are working in a call center with a headphone on all day, that's a working class job. If you're working in a factory or you're a miner, electrician in a mine, that's a working class job. If you're the mine, if you're the people who run the mine, who make the decision, the boards of directors, the senior executives, that's the capitalist class. And if you're the foreman or some middle management supervisor or middle manager, that's a middle class. So if I look at the occupational structure, of the U.S. and go to the U.S. Department of Labor, which has very detailed occupational information, something like 800 different occupational classifications, and just just look, is, is this a call center worker? That's a working class job. Is this a supervisor? That's a middle class job. Is this a CEO? That's a capitalist job. And if I, you just add up how many people are in which categories, you find that about 62% of the labor force in the United States are working class people. That's why this is, as I've had another book titled, The Working Class Majority. This is not a middle class society. This is a working class society. The capitalist class is about 2%. That's the senior executives and the boards of directors of the corporations in this country that employ more than 20 people. That's about 2%. And then the middle class, those professional people, managers, supervisors, and uh, small business owners, that's something on the order of 35%, 36%. So that's what is the class structure of the United States. And those classes, incidentally, all of them, but especially if we're talking about the working class, are mixed by race, by gender, by ethnicity. Often we think uh, in the popular culture in the United States, political culture these days, if we're talking about the working class, a lot of people really mean white workers. But the working class is really multiracial. Black workers are, of course, black, but they are also workers. And too often, I think, when we think about women in the workforce, black people who are working in factories or call centers or picking up garbage or working as home health aides, those are black people, but they are also workers. And that working class then extends through that whole 62% of the population in the United States, the overwhelming majority of the people. And uh, that is a multiracial, multiethnic class. And I think that's very important for politics and very important for the way we organize and the way we think about how the society works. We have a lot of people, at least people that I've run into, that don't use the term working class. They're really not even that familiar with it. And they consider themselves middle class, you know, where... Under most standards, you know, I wouldn't think of them as middle class, but it's something people strive for. You're so right about the working class. So many people are working class, and they don't realize it. What about educating people to understand that uh, so they feel more a part of this larger group? It's part of the language that we need to use, and it's part of the understanding that we have to bring to people. The understanding of class and being in the working class is something that is part of the language that we have to be used, you know, get used to using. So Sean Fain, for example, the president of the UAW, who led that magnificent set of strikes at the end of the last year in the auto industry against the three major U.S. producers. Sean Fain is clear that he is uh, part of the working class. He's an electrician out of an auto plant in Kokomo, Indiana. 
And he talks about his members as working class people. President Biden, when he went to the picket line uh, at, a, at an auto plant in Warren, Michigan, to stand with Sean Fain and the workers in that plant, President Biden talked about the middle class and the u- unions build the middle class. Well, no, unions get workers to have a better life in the working class. You know, if you just look at income, auto workers make a decent income. But that doesn't mean that they aren't workers. That means that they have a union that gives them the strength and capacity to win a decent living standard from their employers. And that isn't going into the middle class. That's being a better served and better compensated worker. The program's a progressive forum. I'm Wally James, and we're listening to an interview I did earlier today, and that's with Michael Zellwig, and he is uh, author of the new book, uh, Class, Race, and Gender, Challenging the uh, Injuries and Divisions of Capitalism. And uh, joining me on the phone, we have Larry Kurzan, who does the news here normally on our show. Larry, how's it going? Hey, good evening, Wally. How are you? Doing all right. And uh, folks, we're here to encourage you to make some donations to KPFT. And uh, we have uh, four copies of this new book, and it's uh, Class, Race, and Gender. And you can uh, make a donation for $90 to KPFT, and uh, they'll give you that book for uh you, you pledge for our show. Tell them that you want the uh, you want this book by Michael. In uh, his last name is spelled Z W E I G. So make that call seven one three five six five seven three eight. And uh, there's so much more in the book than we're able to talk about in the interview. Uh, so Larry, uh, what are your thoughts? You've been listening to a little bit of this. Yeah, yeah, I've been listening. You know, I like his definition of progressivism and progressive politics because like almost every word in the in the American language and political use has been that shows you how corrupted the word has has been. So his definition is quite on mark and I think I like it. It's uh, anything that reduces suffering. And of course the uh United States government and the capitalist cabal predatory capitalism all of that is about reducing the elite and wealthy suffering and imposing suffering upon the working people of America. Very obvious, uh, you know, we have a war budget of a trillion dollars, and yet, you know, we can't, we won't feed people, we won't give them help. You know, we want to reduce food stamp aid, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, there's a uniparty, U-N-I party. There's one party up there. There's some differences on cultural issues, but when you look at actual policies that affect working people every day, not much difference. And, uh, you know, President Biden, you know, you know, he's a genocide provider, you know, for Israel. He's providing them with the wherewithal to create this genocide and continue it. And, uh, you know, people have got to get smart about this. And, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's time that we're done with this lesser of two evils. Uh, evil is still evil. You can think you have a choice, you know, this November, but, you know, they're giving you two people who are both horrible. So, you know, it's, it's really fascinating. You know, uh, Michael Zweig is right on with this. Uh, I also saw an interview with him and the Poor People's Campaign with the Reverend Barber. And, you know, it is correct to get a confluence where all of these issues are intertwined. The needs of the people are not being met. They haven't been met for decades. It's on purpose. And, you know, people do need to educate themselves on this. It's extremely important. Uh, Our program for decades itself has been trying to bring these voices to the air. And uh, along with KPFT and the Pacifica Foundation, uh, you know, we've, we've done what we can to try and bring at least insightful material and people to discuss these issues because you are not going to hear anything of any substance discussed on mainstream corporate media. And fortunately, with the Internet, you know, there's a lot of solid information. Some of the people who have been banned from the corporate media are still producing great, you know, programming. Uh, Chris Hedges, we've had on previously. 
people like that are still there. And KPFT and the Progressive Forum, we want to continue that. And we have to live in a capitalist system. We have to pay bills. We have to earn our way to go forward with the station. And that's what we're asking you to pledge tonight at 713-526-5738. Or you can go to kpft.org on the Internet. That's right. And as I said before, you can get Michael's book for a $90 donation. And if you uh, call in or you go online, you should be able to see that and make a choice with that. Uh, but if, you know, there's also, you know, $60 levels. Uh, uh, and if you want to do more, the 120 that's $10 a month. Um, but, I mean, that's up to you. You decide what you want to do to help KPFT. We just want you to step up and do your part. And I know a lot of people have donated to KPFT over the years. And uh, and I'm very grateful for people that have been loyal to this show and uh, have supported us. But we can't just depend on uh, those people. People move away. Uh, things yep. happen. And yep. so we need new people coming in. So even if you've never donated to this station or uh, to KPFT, I mean, to, to the station or the Progressive Forum, uh, this is a great opportunity for you to get started. You can get this great book as a thank you gift. And you can, you know, it's, it's a great read. And it's something that will, you know, help you to see things a little bit differently because, you know, working class, middle class, and as I said in the interview, uh, a lot of people don't even, you know, think of working class. Uh, it, it's like everybody wants to either be in the middle class or the upper class. And the thing is, uh, most of us are never going to make it there, and it's not even worth trying. And uh, what do you have, you know, to get to be in the, the upper class, what do you have to do? Uh, and so 713-526-5738, 713-526-KPFT. We need you to call in right now. Support KPFT. Support the Progressive Forum. And uh, Larry, something else you want to say before we go back to the uh, interview? I just want to say it's very important for new members to make whatever contribution they can. Any level is fine. Uh, but it does actually create a shift in your consciousness when you do it because you have then invested, even if it's $5, if it's something that you are voluntarily giving from yourself because you see a value in the radio station, KPFT, and this program and all the other programming, it really, all of us started that way. You can ask anybody who's been a member of KPFT and continue to donate. Uh, that's, that's how it all happened. You know, when they make it, it sounds trite, but it's very true. We all started with one donation and then, uh, you know, we got more involved and more involved, and we really appreciate it. And, Wally, you're right, working class versus middle class versus upper class versus billionaire. You know, working class is not part of the cultural manipulation of the American dream, and that's really important. I think uh, Mr. Swig, you know, would agree with that, that, you know, it's all distraction. You know, who wants to be a millionaire program? Who wants, you know, uh, the lottery, all this crap. You know, and why do people aspire to that? It's not because they're doing so well. It's because how bad they're doing. They really could use even $50,000 to make their life so much better. And so it's, it's important uh, to, to consider, you know, getting his book as a premium. I think that's a be a wonderful education. And you could, you know, pass that around to family and friends. And this is not a political book, I'm sure, in the sense that it's just going to expose both parties and the manipulation of capitalism. So that's how I would, uh, you know, uh, in, you know, add that to people as an incentive for, uh, you know, giving us a pledge. And that's, again, at 713-526-5738. Wally? Uh, yes, and go online to kpft.org. If I I've been pushing the phone number, but I know there are plenty of people that would rather just do it online. So do that. Go to kpft.org, and you can make your donation there. All right, we're going to get back to this interview and uh, be back with you shortly. Our guest today is Michael Zweig, and he is author of Class, Race, and Gender, Challenging Injuries and Divisions of Capitalism. You talk about 2016, the presidential campaign of Bernie Sanders, and we had AOC. And we had the candidates in 2018 and 2020 put socialism squarely in the center of the political politics. So can you talk about what socialism is and how you see it? 
socialism is a word again that has a lot of different meanings I think that when Bernie Sanders ran his campaign in uh, 2016, he was talking about democratic socialism, about having a society in which the, the working class and working people have policies in place within an overall capitalist society that serve and protect the interests of workers within capitalism. Democratic socialism is basically uh, the kind of New Deal policies that we had in the 1930s where we got minimum wage legislation, where we got Social Security. We didn't get health care, but later on we got Medicare, at least for retired people, people over 65. So democratic socialism or socialism, if you want to talk more broadly than just democratic socialism, I think the way to understand it is to understand socialism as a society in which the working class has power. Capitalism is a society in which the capitalist class has power. Socialism is a society that reverses that power grid and puts the power in the hands of the working class. That doesn't mean that there aren't people managing the businesses or there aren't people who are making more money than others. It just means that the core of the economy and the core of the political system and the core of the values in the society promote the interests of working people before the interests of anybody else. And I think that in that general sense, socialism is taking on a more attractive look to a lot of people in this country because capitalism turns out to be not so attractive and it's pretty ugly when you're living through it is the way people have to live through it in the United States today. Going back to the Red Scare, you have people that have demonized the word socialism for so long. With Bernie Sanders, it seems like an AOC, your new life is being breathed into that. Can you talk about that and how people are accepting the term socialism? What Bernie did in 2016, and again in, in, in 2020, was to bring the content of that. You know, to, it's a word that people get all excited, oh my God, socialism, communism, oh my God, it's the end of the humanity. And Bernie is saying, no, wait a second, we're talking about everybody has health care. We're talking about everybody has decent education. We're talking about working people having a better life. That is what we're talking about. And when you break it down, as Bernie did, I think that it takes on a more interesting and more attractive look. And I think that was, uh, we saw that in the very strong popular support that Bernie generated. And it was a support that scared the ruling elites of this country deeply, including in the Democratic Party. And so the Democratic Party in 2016 did everything they could to undermine Bernie's campaign and everything they could to promote uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign against Bernie. And that was because the establishment leadership of the Democratic Party is in is sort of in the camp of capital, and uh, they were scared by the kind of um, enthusiasm that Bernie was generating, and so they had to crush it. And uh, so that's a battle that's going on still to this day. What do we understand about what is in the interest of working people? What is in the interest of people who are marginalized, who are suffering? How do we fix and address that suffering? How do we fix and address the power uh, that workers need to uh, organize in order to have control and power in the society and the politics? And that's what Bernie was about. That's what uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is about, and uh, many other people, Cory Bush and Bowman, uh, there's a lot of them, and that's great. But it's a big fight. Yeah, it definitely is. You have the corporations, you have the ultra-rich that are giving to politicians, and not just Republicans, but also Democrats. And that is something that they don't want to talk about, is how they are being manipulated to serve the ruling class. Can you talk about that? 
In the Citizens United case in 2010, the Supreme Court ruled that uh, corporations are people and they can spend unlimited amounts of money and nobody needs to know who they are. So that's the dark money in politics. And that obviously skews the political uh, system towards the interests of big money and capital and corporations. But that wasn't something that just fell out of the sky that day or that year. The whole structure of American politics has systematically been reoriented since the 1970s. It's kind of hard to remember and for young people even to imagine what the world was like in the United States in 1968, 69, 70, and the early 70s, late 60s. Corporations and the corporate world and capitalism were very much on the defensive. And Lewis Powell uh, was brought in by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to write a memorandum for them as to how they should respond because there were all these liberal and progressive things that were being passed in legislation. We had uh, Medicare and Medicaid. We had OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health Act. We had the environmental um, movement began uh, Earth Day in 1970. So there was a lot of pressure on the corporate world, and they were quite distressed, quite agitated about it. Lewis Powell came in and said something very important, and I deal with this in in this book, in my book, Class, Race, and Gender, this Lewis Powell memorandum threads through it. He said to the Chamber of Commerce, the whole system is under attack, the whole capitalist system, and we have to defend, we, the Chamber of Commerce and the businesses uh, of America, have to defend not only our own companies, not only our own industry, we have to defend the system as a whole. So it's not good enough just to go and go to Congress and lobby for your industry's needs. We have to have a reorientation of the entire political, cultural, and economic map of the country to promote the interests of the system of capitalism. And the 1970s was when that really began. That's where we got the Federalist Society. That's where we got the Heritage Foundation. That's where we got the American Legislative Exchange Council. That's where we got all the Cato Institute, all these different right-wing organizations that were there not for a particular industry, but for the system, for capitalism. And it was funded, all of that, by different industries, different wealthy people, different companies, in order to defend the system and to claw back systematically over time, it's been going on now for over 50 years, to take away all the gains that came in the New Deal, in the women's movement, in the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s. All that is being systematically eroded, and that is the environment, that's the trajectory, historical trajectory, that we are living in now. So the end of Roe, for example, in that decision a couple years ago, was part of that whole initiative to roll back every gain that was progressive and to reinstate the power of capital in every dimension of society. So that's where we are. And Bernie was calling it out. AOC is calling it out, and other people, many other people, and a lot of young people in these social movements are calling it out. And this book that I've written is part of that call-out to say, wait a second, what we're dealing with here is something that needs a systematic response by all of us united, really citizens united, but in social movements, where each movement is part of a larger more or less coordinated attack on the basic structure of power in the country, which is corporate capitalism. And a lot of times you have different organizations, and they're fighting for, whether it's women or the environment, they're fighting for their particular issue, but also part of this bigger movement that you're talking about. And that's something that a lot of times people don't realize because they're so focused on their thing just how we're all united in trying to do something about this. 
Well, that's exactly right. And that's what I think we need to learn from Lewis Powell, because that's exactly what he was saying in 1970 and 71 to the corporate elite of this country. He was saying, you guys are so focused on your industry, on your company, on your needs for your immediate survival or your immediate profit, that you're forgetting what the overall picture is. We can't forget about that overall picture because we can't win industry, you know, company by company. We have to defend the whole system in which we operate. And then, within that, we can pay attention to our own particular needs. Well, we have to do the same thing on the other side of the coin. So when we have the movement for black lives and we have the women's movement, all those movements of the environment, they should take comfort and they should take great joy and strength from what happened with the UAW strike and what the Starbucks workers are doing. At the same time, the Starbucks workers and the UAW members and the steel workers and the Teamsters need to pay attention to and help and organize and take strength from the women's movement because that's a working-class movement that challenges the power of capital, but it comes out of women, not out of unions. But the unions and the women's movement and the movement for black lives and the environmental movement and the Chicano movement, all those different movements around immigration, all that stuff needs to come together into one more or less coordinated resurgence of power to challenge capital, because that's what we're all doing whether we know it or not, that is where the foundation comes for the just injustices of the grievances and the divisions that we're trying to overcome. And that's, again, what I'm trying to do in this book, is to try to under- explain that, to try to bring it out in concrete, practical, political terms, as well as a deeper sort of analytical ways that uh, people can understand uh, why that politics is so necessary. That is so true. Something else I want to ask you about, and that is you touched on the Supreme Court and this new Supreme Court that we have that is so weighted with these far-right-wing justices. A lot of accomplishments that people are making, that groups are making, are going to wind up being taken up to the Supreme Court. Give us your thoughts on that struggle. And your thoughts on what's going on there? Well, it's a terrible problem. And we saw that also in the early days of the New Deal. In the 1930s, the uh, National Industrial Recovery Act and other laws that Congress passed to deal with the Depression and to uh, ameliorate the conditions and to help workers and to help people who were uh, suffering, the Supreme Court turned it all down, said, no, 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 you can't do that. So we have a history of this in this country of a very conservative Supreme Court that has turned back progressive legislation. Now, in the 1930s, because of the popular uprising, because of the extreme pressure from below, that Supreme Court flipped. They changed their votes. So that what the the same court that held certain you know the New Deal legislation unconstitutional in 1934 by 1937 decided oh by the way it's okay it is constitutional because there was so much pressure that they uh, they did uh, flip. Well, I'm not so sure that we're in that situation right now. We have this extremely conservative block. I mean, they're really reactionary. They are there to tear down everything that has been uh, brought forward in the last 70 years that's progressive, uh, from uh, voting rights to labor rights to women's rights. It's all on the block. Uh, All the civil rights stuff, it's on the way out, except... Maybe if there's enough popular pressure that it scares them enough that they say, okay, well, we have to give, we have to do something over here. Well, we'll see how that goes. But it is a very severe problem that we're facing with this ultra-conservative block on the Supreme Court, no doubt about it. It is, and it's something that 
you know, is going to have to be fought. And unfortunately, in their corporate media, mainstream media, they don't really address this the way it should be addressed. And it's something that people a lot of times don't truly understand because they're not getting their information from sources that would inform them about that. Your thoughts on you know, where that stands and how we help educate people? Media are very, very powerful forces. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, we talk about developing understanding, uh, developing consciousness. You know, Karl Marx, when he wrote about the development of working class consciousness and class consciousness, thought the way that consciousness would develop is through experience that people in their living experience of going to work and dealing with their boss would learn who's who and what's what and who are their friends and who are their enemies. And that would be the basis on which working class power could be built. Well, as Bertel Ullman, a wonderful political scientist at NYU, has pointed out, when Marx wrote, he never imagined that there would be a little box in every room in every worker's house that, uh, you know, 24 hours a day would be spewing out corporate and capitalist propaganda and capitalist ways of thinking, and that the whole educational system that people were subject to would do everything it could to turn back people's understanding of their own experience. And I think that uh, that's where we are. We're dealing with a media landscape which is very, very damaging to working people. Now, there are outlets like Pacifica radio stations, like Democracy Now!, uh, like in these times, and, you know, there are publications and there are places where people can find out other ways of thinking, but they are trying to find that signal in the noise of the mainstream media. It takes a lot of tooting your ear. And I think that one thing that our social movements need to do is to develop popular media and to find ways to distribute them and that's a very difficult task but i think as people get more engaged in the day-to-day struggles that they're forced into because of the injustices that they're dealing with because of the outrages as people get involved they will look for resources they will look for information and that is where we have to be, and that's, again, the one, one reason why I wrote this book, Class, Race, and Gender, Challenging the Injuries and Divisions of Capitalism. And I'm very grateful to PM Press uh, for publishing it. There, there are presses like PM Press, like Cornell University Press, like the University of Illinois Press, like Haymarket, other publications, Verso, that will bring forward other voices and democracy now, an hour a day, but still it's a pretty good hour. And it's important to bring forth the voices of actual people in struggle, describing and understanding their own lives. So I think that uh, that's the uphill battle we're facing. But we do have resources, and I don't think we should just give up. Before I let you go... We... All right. Well, wrapping up that interview and we just have a few minutes left uh this is wally james with the progressive forum also on the line we have larry kurzan who does our news every week uh well that is when we're not in fun drive it kind of changes things up a little bit okay folks uh this is the interview i did with michael zelwig uh earlier today and uh it's fascinating uh there, it's a great book, but also, even if you don't want the book, just having these voices on the air on KPFT. And he was talking about Democracy Now! and these other you know, connections to Pacifica uh, that bring you voices you don't get elsewhere. But you notice there's not a whole lot there. Uh, so if you want to support the only Pacifica station in Texas, it, well, actually in the center of the country, we've got the two on the East Coast, two on the West Coast, and then right here in Houston. So if you want to support that, you want to keep this station on the air, make that call, 713-526-5738, and, or you can go to kpft.org. And whatever uh, premium thank you gift that uh, you're interested in. Uh, certainly, we're talking about the book tonight, and there was a book we gave last week. But what uh, 
whatever it is that motivates you, make that call, 713-526-573, or go to kpft.org and keep this station going and support the efforts that we're all doing. Uh, Larry, your thoughts? Yes. Well, one thing that, uh, uh, you know, Michael Zweig is really uh, erudite in explaining this and keeping it on very, very practical levels. One thing people also are learning is that this is not a right versus left scenario anymore. You know, these parties are very, very, very similar in what they are doing to the working class. And we have to look at this as a top against the bottom. And I think that's a much more descriptive way of, of viewing it. People have to open their minds and wonder why, you know, certain things are supported on one side or the other side, so to speak. And beneath it all is manipulation. And manipulation uh, of the news is done by all political actors and the corporations that own the media. And, uh, it's you know, this is things that are endemic to America. It's been going on for 50 years, as we've talked about on this radio station. And, uh, you know, to keep this station on the air, we want to keep, you know, promoting, you know, thinking, you know, free thinking is, is an old term, but it's like don't be influenced by just one line of uh, media, one line of propaganda. You know, open your mind up. And Michael Zweig's book, uh, I think, would do that for a lot of people. So whatever level you can pledge at, you know, we'd appreciate it. If you can't pay it right away, we understand that too. Working class, okay, it's a reality. But we need to have, you know, the funds that will be coming in to pay the bills every month, uh, so we can keep these broadcasts going on uh, live on air and on the digital uh, platform. And you can do that at 713-526-5738 or kpft.org. Wally? All right. And also, uh, we had a great guest on last week. Uh, it was uh, Brian Williams, and he has a new book out. It's The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, uh, Violence, and how we heal and so there's still copies of that left so uh either one when you go online uh you should be able to check that out and see what's available but those are uh, a couple of great books and we like having authors on we do it all the time not just during fun drive because we want to bring you other ideas we want to bring you information you're not going to get anywhere else so please make a call or go online 713-526-5738 713-526-KPFT make that call or go online either way support KPFT it is so important that we keep a voice like this on the air 713-526-5738. Larry, your final thought. Well, I'm just really glad you interviewed Michael. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of thinkers we need out there, people who actually understand the practicalities of living in America. This empire is on decline. Check out Chris Hedges, uh, you know, if you want to learn about the American empire and where we're actually heading. Uh, you know, it's going down, and uh, they're going to keep telling you everything's great. And, you know, that's their democracy. It's not yours. So if you can contribute to this democracy, which is KPFT, we would appreciate that very much. 713-526-5738. All right. Well, Jacqueline Batiste with People of Earth is just rolling in, getting ready to do her show. And uh, we want to get out here and, and get out of here and make room for her but before we do we just got a minute or so left 713-526-5738 call in and support kpft we uh we do this because we care and show us that you care and support kpft all right we're gonna uh 713-526-5738 or kpft.org we'll be back next week uh have a uh, great week and we'll see you then